This morning, I want to I want to begin with a, a story here, and and you know, I read that scripture this morning during our prayer time, and I don't know if anyone picked up on it. I know Ginger did. I saw her, the expression on her face. That was our memory verse, and so it, at least the verse four is now. I, I've read verses um, one through four, but um, it talks a lot about fear, and so there was a passenger in a taxi cab who leaned over to ask the driver a question and he he gently tapped him on the shoulder to get his attention and well when he did that the driver just absolutely screamed and and he lost control of the cab and nearly hit a bus and he drove up onto the curb and he stopped just inches from this large plate glass window man it was close So for a few moments, everything was silent in the cab. Then the shaking driver said, Are you okay? I'm so sorry, but you scared the living daylights out of me. You know, and so the badly shaken passenger apologized to the driver and said, I didn't realize that a mere tap on the shoulder would startle somebody like that so badly. And the driver replied, no, no, it's, you know, I'm the one to be sorry. You know, it's entirely my fault. Today is my very first day at driving a taxi cab. See, you see, I've been driving a hearse for the last 25 years. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I'm just getting the picture on that one, man. That, that is hilarious. So a mother, a mother and her four-year-old daughter were preparing to go to bed. It was kind of late. And the child, you know, of course, children are afraid of the dark. And the mother on this occasion, who was alone with her child, was also kind of fearful. And so when the light was out, the child caught a glimpse of the moon outside the window and, and asked mom, she said, is the moon God's light? Yes, the mom said. Well, the next question was, will, will God put out his light when we go to sleep? And so the mother replied, no, no, no. God never goes to sleep. Then out of the simplicity of a child's faith, can you hear one of your children saying this? She said, that which gave her reassurance to the fearful mother. Well, as long as God is awake and watching over us, There's no sense in both of us staying awake. (laughs) I love that, that that innocence of faith in in that child. You know, if you've been with us for the last several weeks, you know that we recently began a journey. And this journey uh, will take us from the banks of the Jordan River to an empty tomb. Eventually we'll get there on the outskirts of Jerusalem, but... It takes us to many different points in between of where Jesus went. You know, the Gospel of Mark will be our tour guide on this journey. You know, as we we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. You know, even though Mark is the shortest of the Gospels, Mark actually records more events than any of the other Gospels, making it a very fast-paced, action-packed biography of Jesus in the ideal starting point for anyone wishing to get to know Jesus a little better. So that's what we're doing. And I've entitled this this sermon series, Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. 
Will you follow? How do we get this? Do we turn this on up here, Tina, so I can have the monitor here? Do you have to turn it on? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. All right, I want to be able to see that. So really, it, it comes down to this idea of fear versus faith, but we're going to get to that in a little bit. But last Sunday, we read about Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath, and, and it, what it did was it really aggravated his enemies. His enemies would, would have been considered the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they, they were really upset with him that he did this on a, on a Sabbath. So in short, simple story, you know, we saw the compassion of Jesus. Then we saw the criticism that the, the Pharisees pushed upon Jesus, these religious leaders. And then we saw the willingness or the compliance of this disabled man with the deformed hand. He was willing to let Jesus heal him. He was willing to do that. So following this wonderful miracle, Jesus continues his mission. And the next thing that he does is he appoints 12 of his followers to a special task. Do you remember what that special task was? It was to be apostles. That's what he asked them to be. And then he continues healing people. He continues casting out demons, which once again gets the attention of the religious leaders and they can't stand it. And, they're, and if, you're, if you're following along with us in the Chosen series, you, you get that picture, don't you? That the religious leaders, they're, they're really worried. I mean, what is this man? Who is this man? What, what's he doing? You know, and, and so they're, they're very frustrated with it. And so the scribes and the Pharisees, they accuse Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Satan himself, which is really kind of a ridiculous statement. You know, Jesus recognizes their claim for what it is. It's ridiculous, it's nonsensical, and it's an accusation that doesn't merit any, uh, hold any water at all. So they accuse Jesus of blasphemy, but ironically, they were guilty. They were guilty of that very sin when they looked Jesus in the face and they identified him as Satan. They were the ones that were guilty of blasphemy. So on the heels of that encounter, Jesus tells us the parable of the sower. Remember that parable? You know, the farmer goes out and sows seed indiscriminately all over the place, over four types of soil. Some of the soil was good. Some of the soil was bad. And of course, Jesus in that story is the sower. And of course, the word of God is the seed that he is sowing. And the point is, not everyone, not everyone will accept the word of God and not everyone will hold tightly to it when life gets busy, when life gets difficult, when life brings challenges in your life. And so the challenge for us is to make sure our hearts and our lives are in good soil. Amen? To make sure that our hearts are in the good soil. And so what that does then is it brings us to our passage for today, which is found in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. It's a familiar story that so many of us can really relate to. I want you to join me as we read it. I'm going to read from the monitor here. You should be able to see it up there. And if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, please do so. It says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, 
Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in, just as he was in the boat. There, there was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Next, next slide. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still! Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, and I can imagine him looking right at them with his eyes piercing in them, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You know, this sounds like a story of faith versus fear. Fear versus faith. You know, the lake in which they set across was the Sea of Galilee. Have you ever seen that on the map? The Sea of Galilee, it's a freshwater lake in northern Palestine. The lake itself is about 13 miles long and about 8 miles wide. And it is about 680 feet deep at its deepest. You know, it's, 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 it's 680 feet below sea level. And it's, it's extremely deep um, and it's shaped like a heart. And if you look at it, it's shaped like the human heart, not the, the heart like this. It's literally shaped like a heart. That's what it looks like. But let me tell you something. It was a place of inspiring beauty, just absolutely gorgeous. However, with mountains surrounding most of the lake, you know, the, the, the fierce downdrafts of cold air from the higher levels of elevation would meet the warm air at sea level. And often it made the victims on that, on that ocean or that, that sea, um, it would just bring up these absolutely violent storms, you know, which was the case on this particular night. Um, and so, you know, these veteran fishermen, now remember, they are fishermen. So they are veteran fishermen here. You know, and for them to be afraid for their lives means that this was probably no ordinary storm. Do you think that was planned? Do you think the Lord planned that? You know, this was a raging tempest of gale force winds. You know, the sky rumbled above, the, the sea churned below them. You know, their fishing boat bounced on top of those waves, you know, those angry waves all about. You know, I can't imagine. How many of you get seasick when you're out on a boat? Okay, there's a few of you here. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been out on one that much. I've been out on a few, but I've never been out on that much, so I don't know if I, I would get seasick or not, but... You know, it's no wonder they were afraid, though. Fear often gets the better of us, I tell you. You know, it, it seems like nowadays we have a phobia for everything, don't we? You know, these are really strange things to be afraid of. For instance, you know, and I, I, ha- I didn't even hardly understand half of these. Um, I don't know why that one, maybe I missed that one. They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. That was the rest of the verse there, wasn't it? I didn't read that, so. But anyway, uh, we have so many different phobias, you know, and, and psychologists say that 
One of the most common fears. You want to take a guess at one of the most common fears is today? Put it up there. Nomophobia. Nomophobia is a fear of not having your cell phone near or with you. That is one of the greatest fears nowadays is nomophobia. You know, the next one, it's called uh, chirophobia. Chirophobia is the fear of clowns. I would have that one. I don't like clowns, especially after seeing Stephen King's, the, the, the movie It. Man, no way. Clowns creep me out, period. And then the next one is arachiotorophobia, is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. <laughs> we used to, we had a big dog one time, and he, I mean, he just absolutely would devour peanut butter. And so we would take it, and I would rub it on the top of his roof, and he would go, I like this. And then we'd put it on his nose, and he'd be bringing that tongue around trying to reach, the, reach his nose. But it was hilarious watching him. But, but this is, this is a literal a phobia that people have with peanut butter, peanut butter getting stuck to the roof of your mouth. But I think the one that takes the trophy is this one. It's called lupopapiophobia. And it was first coined on the fire, the far side. You ever, anybody ever watch the far side comics? I love those things. I used to get them all the time. It, it was first coined in a far side comic strip. It involves the fear of being pursued by timber wolves around a kitchen table while wearing socks on a newly waxed floor. <laughs> that is just absolutely something else. But, you know, most of our fears today, though, most of our fears aren't funny. Really, they aren't. You know, we, we fear failure. Maybe it's you fearing foreclosure on your home, or, or maybe it's the fear of being forgotten. You know, maybe you're, you're afraid of being abused, um, or abandoned, or alone. You know, it, it seems like every sunrise brings fresh reasons for someone to fear something. And it's, it's very frustrating. You know, but did you notice, did you notice, I pointed out Jesus' question to these guys, why are you afraid do you still have no faith? You know, faith, Jesus seems to say, is just the opposite of fear. You know, if, if you've got the faith, then you should not have the fear. You know, faith is the solution to fear. You know, and, and faith is essential to following Jesus because as the disciples learn, you know, it won't always be smooth sailing, will it? Because next week... We're going to talk about after they get across that, that, those waves and that sea, when they land there, who they encounter. We're going to talk about demon possession next week. So you want to be here to hear that. But it wasn't going to be smooth sailing and they found that out. And I think for, you know, most of, you know, if not all of us know this, that, you know, it's not going to be smooth sailing. But when we look closely at this story, I think we can find at least three reasons to have faith even in the midst of life's storms. Every single one of us in this room has experienced a life storm. And maybe you're experiencing that right now. Well, I'm going to give you three reasons to have faith in the middle of those storms. And this is the first one. The first is that we can have faith in Jesus' plans. You can have faith in Jesus and His plans for you. 
You know, Jesus wanted to put miles of water between him and the multitudes of people on the western shore. You know, which is why Jesus said to his followers, let's go to the other side of the lake. He told them that. And this is, this is important because it shows us that it was Jesus' idea to cross the sea and go into the eastern side of the, the countryside there. It was his idea to do that. You know, Peter, James, and John, and the rest of them were simply following where he was leading them to. Isn't that what we want to do as well? To follow Jesus wherever he leads us? Isn't that what you want to do? I know that's what I want to do. So, so the question is this. Did Jesus know that the storm was coming? And I think we all know the answer to that. Of course he did. Absolutely he did. Jesus knew the storm was coming and it was within his powers to prevent it, but instead I believe that he deliberately guided them into the storm. And I believe he did so for a purpose. Do you believe that? You know, it, it was the perfect storm designed for an express purpose of helping Jesus, his followers, to trust him in every circumstances. They had a decision to make in that boat, didn't they? You know, it's the opportunity for us to put our faith into action. And, it, and Jesus was giving them that opportunity right there in that boat to put their faith into action. That's what he was doing for them. No matter what storm we may experience, we can trust that God has a purpose for every problem and every situation. We just need to figure it out. So God issued, or he assured the, the people of Israel this. I want, I want to read this passage for you. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, it says this. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, but plans to give you a hope and a future. That's what he tells the people of Israel. This promise belongs to us as well. It belongs to us. God has a plan for each one of us. And of course, you might think that, that your life, you, you, might, you might look at your life, you might think about your life, and, and, and think, you know, well, I, I'm not seeking the plan here, Lord. I, I don't, I don't want that plan. You know, I don't, I don't think the Israelites saw that plan either. I don't think that they were looking for it. So, so we often quote this vote, this verse of Isaiah chapter 29, and a lot of times we quote chapter 29 verses 10 and 11. You know, it's seen on posters, on plaques, but we forget its context. Let's go back and look at it again. It says this. It says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Hold on for a second now. 70 years are you kidding me? How many of you are around 70 years of age? Don't lie. Okay. 70 years, almost the whole amount of time that you've been alive. 70 years. The people of Israel were, were going to be exiled in this foreign nation, many of them slaves for the next 70 years. And this was all of, 
part of God's plan. You know, from an earthly perspective, that's not a very good plan. Seventy stinking years. Wow. Holy cow. Seventy years. But God sees things from an eternal perspective, and we don't oftentimes. This story is a true story, by the way, that I'm going to share with you. I thought it was pretty amazing. On the front porch of this little country store in Illinois, Abraham Lincoln and Barry, that's all I know of his name, Barry was his partner, and they stood on the front porch of this little old country store that they owned. Business was all gone, and Barry asked, how much longer can we keep going? Lincoln answered, well, it looks as if our business has just about winked out. That's what he said. Then he continued, you know, I wouldn't mind so much if I could just do what I wanted to do. For you see, I want to study law. That's what Lincoln said. He said, I want to study law. I wouldn't mind so much if we could sell everything that we got, pay all the bills and have enough money left over so that I could buy this one book. I I just need this one book. And, And the book was Blackstone's Commentary on English Law. But I guess that's not going to happen. Just then, a strange-looking wagon wobbled up the road. The driver angled it close to the the, the front store porch, then, then looked at Lincoln and said, You know, I am trying to move my family out west, and I am out of money. I've got a good barrel here that I would sell for 50 cents if you would be interested. And Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln got down, he, his eyes went along the wagon and he came to the wife that was sitting in there with him and as if the wife was pleading with this face so thin and emaciated and, and Lincoln ran his hand into his pocket and he took out, according to him, the last 50 cents that he owned. And he said, I reckon I could use a good barrel. And so all day long, the barrel sat on the front porch of the store. And Barry, his partner, kept just chiding at him, you know, saying, why did you do that? You know, you know, (laughs) he was upset with him about that. So late in the evening, Lincoln walked out and he looked down into the barrel he saw something in the bottom of it. There were some papers down in there, but he, he didn't he didn't notice them before. And so his long arms went down into the barrel and he fumbled around and then he hit something solid and he pulled out this book that stood and, and he kind of stood there petrified. Believe it or not, it was Blackstone's commentary on English law, the book that he had wanted. Lincoln would write later on, I stood there holding the book and looking up to heaven. There came a deep impression on me that God had something for me to do and he was showing me now that I had to get ready to do it. Why does this, why does this all matter? You know, if, if God hadn't allowed Lincoln's general store to go out of business, He never would have gone on to become a lawyer and eventually to become president of the United States and probably one of the best presidents ever. You know, 
there will be plenty of turbulence and, and, and trying experience in your life and my life. There's going to be. We're not promised a rose garden. <laughs> Absolutely not. But see, in the midst of the storms, it can be nearly impossible to see a plan at work, but we can have faith that Jesus has a plan for every storm. Sometimes we may not be able to see where he's working, but we can always trust in Jesus. The second thing that I want to point out here is this, is that we can have faith in Jesus' presence. You know, I've never been out sailing on the water that much in my life, you know, let alone getting caught in a terrible storm. My son has. My son told, told us a story that was really scary one time about being in the fog and not being able to see land. And he says, you don't know which way you're going. You don't know if you're going out to sea. You don't know if you're going back to sea. You don't know if you're paralleling the, 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 the shore. And he was in that, and he said it was scary. And, he, and his, his phone was dead, so he didn't have that to use. But that would be scary. So, you know, getting caught in a, a small fishing boat, you know, I imagine that was pretty frightening. You know, visibility must have been pretty poor. You know, the waves were crashing onto the boat. You know, their, their tiny ship was tossed and fro. If it wasn't for the fearless crew, the, 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 the minnow would have been lost, you know? <laughs> but even in the eye of the storm, they had an anchor of faith and they didn't even realize it. And, and that anchor of faith was in the boat with them and his name is Jesus. Mark says in Mark chapter 4, verse 38, this, it says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? That's what he, that's what he tells them. See, he was asleep, and, 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 but, but he was there. Emmanuel, God with us, was, was with them. Jesus was in the boat. He was right in the middle of everything that was going on. In the midst of this terrifying storm, Jesus was with his followers. And the best news you're going to hear all day is this, is that what was true for them is true for you and me, for us. That's the best news you're going to get all day. Remember what Jesus told his followers in Matthew 28, 20? He said, in teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely, he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus promises to be with us always. You know, sometimes it feels like our world is coming to an end. Sometimes it feels like the world is crumbling around us. But remember, even then, Jesus is right there with us. You know, it was, it was during one summer evening during a very severe thunderstorm that this mother had tucked her son into bed. And she was about to turn out the light when his little trembling voice said, Mommy, would you stay with me all night? Smiling, the mother gave a warm, reassuring hug and tenderly said, I can't, dear. I have to sleep in Daddy's room. And there was a big pause, and the boy then looked up at his mommy and said, Dad's a big sissy. (laughs) You know, Sarah and I had four children at home, 
as they were growing up, and they would sometimes get scared over different things. Ethan, our oldest son, who is like six foot one, big dude, he hates to watch scary movies. He can't handle it. I think he's afraid of the dark. I don't know. But And then our oldest daughter, Lindsay, she would get up in the middle of the night and come and stand by our bed until we would wake up. It would scare the living daylights out of you. You know, she'd be sitting, there, sucking her thumb right next to your face, and it's like she would never say a word to you, but but you wake up and it's like, whoa! You know, and, and I tell you what, she was too little to know, but if she had stood there with a butcher knife, man, that would have scared the living daylights out of me. I'd have been running in the other direction. But there were many nights we would run to our children for whatever the reason was that they would cry out. You know, Jesus offers to do for us what we do for our children to take care of them. You know, he is with us everywhere we go. He's all around us. He's within us. You know, he could he could live anywhere in the universe, and yet, you know what he did? He chose not to live anywhere else in the universe. He chose to live in our hearts. He chose to make your heart his home. That's what he chose to do. God assures us in his word from Isaiah 43, 5. He says, do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. He is with us. You know, I don't know about you, but I would rather be in a storm with Jesus than anywhere else without him. Wouldn't you? So if you are in the midst of a turbulent, tumultuous time storm, the best advice that anyone could give you is to remember that Jesus is with you and he will see you through it. We need to trust him. We need to have faith in his presence. He will not abandon you. He will not let you down. He will be with you wherever you go. Remember what it said in Matthew 28, 20 there. I will be with you always. Surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That's what he tells us. So first, have faith in his plans and then have faith in his presence. And then last thing I want to share with you this morning is this, that we can have faith in, in Jesus' power. When, when, when Jesus' disciples cried out to him, here's what Mark chapter 4, verse 39 and 40 says. He says, he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, be quiet or quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you still have no faith? You know, it's, it's amazing to me. You know, can you imagine how Jesus' followers felt at that moment? How would you have felt at that moment? Being in that boat, you've just been having the living daylights rocked out of you from those waves, and, and, and you, you look at Jesus, and this is what he says, and the wind and the, and the waves are completely calm. And it's like, whew, wow. Jesus calmed both the wind and the sea simply by the power of his word. He spoke it into existence and it happened. Usually after wind dies down, 
Have you ever been on the sea and you notice when the wind dies down, the sea still is kind of rough? You know, it's got, it's still got the waves and it's still a little rough. Well, you know, the, in this case, when Jesus said, you know, be still, everything was calm immediately and it stayed that way. When Jesus speaks, even the wind and the waves, they listen to him. And I think it's no wonder that the psalmist says to us in Psalm 148, 7, it says, and praise, and praise him down here on earth, you creatures of the ocean depths. You know, 2,000 years later, the words of Jesus have, have not lost their power. They are still as powerful today as they were back in this day when the apostles were walking on the face of the earth. God's word is just as powerful as ever. Not only did the words of Jesus have power to still the storm in the, on the Sea of Galilee, but when you read the red letters painted across the pages of your Bible, when you read those words, His words have power to calm the storms within you as well. They absolutely do. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just been, you know, at at your wit's end and you just go to the Word of God and how it just can calm your spirit? Boy, that, that is so important for us to be able to grasp a hold of the Word of God and to do that. That's why... I will be one of the greatest advocates of you reading your Bibles. You you need to do that because it has such great power over this whole life because they are the words of God. They are the words of Jesus and they are words that calm the storms in your life. You know, when we feel lost, when we we struggle, when we have the struggles of this life and they're overwhelming to us and, and it feels like our ship is about to sink, all we got to do is open the Word of God. Listen to what Jesus has to say and let the power of His Word calm the storm that is raging within us. That's what we need to do. Listen, you know, no, no matter what else is going on, the same God, you know, Jeremy Camp talks about the same God, the same God who was sovereign over the Sea of Galilee is the same God who is sovereign over everything else including your life, including your life. In in any and every situation, Jesus is in control. When a close friend or a relative is in the ICU, Jesus is in control. When the economy is failing, you know what? We can't be blaming presidents for that. When the economy is failing, Jesus is still in control, guys. We need to look at Jesus for, for control. When, when storms rage out of control, Jesus is in control. And he can still calm the storms in every single one of our lives if we will allow him to do that. You know, caught in the storm, these fishermen did something. They looked out and they saw danger. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. Remember that, that statement? from lost in space, they looked out and they, that's all they saw. They saw danger. They looked within and they, they saw fear, fear coming from with them. But what they failed to do is they failed to look at Jesus and find their faith. And I will say to you today is this, let us not make the same mistake. You know, following Jesus 
may take us places where we don't necessarily want to be. But in the words of the hymn writer, Mary Ann Baker, she says this, whether the wrath of the storm-tossed sea or demons or men, whatever it be, no waters can swallow the ship where lies the master of the ocean, the earth, and the skies. You know, when, when blackness overshadows the sky and the waves are crashing high around us, when life gets tough and we don't know where to turn to, let's turn and trust in the plans, the present, and the power of Jesus and find our faith to conquer all fear in our lives. We don't need to be fearful. We need to be faithful. We don't need to be fearful. We need to be faithful. Famed World War II tank commander, General George Patton, said this, He said, courage is fear holding on a minute longer. If you give in to your fears, you are on the path to defeat. Perry, do you remember him saying this? You're on the path to defeat. Instead, if you stand strong in spite of your fears, you are on the path to victory. That's what he says. And we must never forget that we are not In this battle alone, with the power of God on our side, we cannot be defeated. Did you hear that? We cannot be defeated. Satan can't defeat you. People can't defeat you. We cannot be defeated. So if you're feeling defeated this morning, we're going to ask you to come to give that fear and that defeat over to Jesus and let him turn your worries into victories. The Christian's mantra should be this. And we've talked about this the last four weeks. Where he leads me, I will follow. Will you?